You know, God's uh, sense of humor can be interesting sometimes. I like to think that I have a good sense of humor, um, and, and I believe that God does too. And you've probably heard pastors say before that uh, a lot of times when they are going to be speaking on a particular topic, um, that they'll get opportunities in their life the week before or a couple of weeks before to, to learn, you know, firsthand what they're going to be speaking on and, and, and teaching about. And, and that's really been the case for me. Um, the last couple of weeks, and uh, you know, one of the things that I've learned, one of the things that I've noticed, God's brought to my attention, uh, is that I'm really good at, at holding on to my stuff. Right? It's really easy for me to hold on to my stuff, right? my wants, my needs, uh, my plans uh, for my day or my week or or my future. And maybe, you know, maybe you're the same way. Maybe you notice that as well. I, I, like I said, had the opportunity to learn this, or at least notice it the last couple of weeks. Uh, right after we got back from our Guatemala trip, uh, where we went with Living Water International to drill a well, which God did awesome down there, woohoo, yay God, um, went down and shared the gospel, and, and then we came home, and the next week, so we get home on Saturday, the next week is our kids' spring break. And, and so we're trying to figure out what do we do with our kids for spring break. And there's this thing going on, I don't know, you guys may have heard of it before, it's called the Sweet 16. Um, it has to do with this sport called basketball, um, college basketball, you guys, right? Are you tracking with me, yeah? No, okay. So, yes, that comes later. Um, so, so the Sweet 16, right, is in San Jose, and, and we as a family have an opportunity to go to the Sweet 16, and, and even better than that, our, our Wildcats, our U of A Wildcats are going to be playing in the Sweet 16, and so I'm all excited that we have this opportunity that it coincides with our kids' spring break, and I say, hey, wouldn't that be great? <laughs> I wouldn't call that great, Right? Apparently, they aren't familiar with what Sweet 16 means, right? There was a little bit of a disconnect, right? Huge opportunity, Sweet 16, that would be awesome, right? Oh, no, Dad. We, actually, I think this would be better. And so I was, I was outvoted, um, and I, I relinquished my desires. No, that's not true. Um, but I did, I did relinquish my rights, Right? I relinquished my right to drag unwilling people somewhere that they didn't want to go uh, to do what I wanted to do. And to be honest with you, at least 50% of that was for me, right? because I would have had to put up with the people that I dragged uh, somewhere that they didn't want to go. Um, but what I noticed was, you know, later on in that week, when it was time for the games, right? and I'm sitting there with the TV on, right? and, and here's this game, and it's getting ready to start, and I see where the fans from Arizona are sitting, which is where I should be sitting right now at this very moment, I had to kind of let them know, right? That that's where I could have been right this minute, right? Right behind the Arizona bench, cheering on my team. And instead, here I am sitting on a couch. Yeah, yeah, we get it, Dad. We get it, Dad. And then uh, this week, 
um, I had some plans in store, and a, a good friend of mine was getting married on Friday, and I was going to be doing the service, and very excited about that. And, and then I learned that uh, another person that I knew from Florida was going to be in town this week, and um, he had treated me for, with, for some issues on my back several years ago, and hadn't been an opportunity to see him and reconnect and, and get some help there. Um, and so I kind of had my week planned out, and, and then the Lord called. Well, technically, it was Larry. Um, Larry called, right? And, and he didn't exactly say this, but, but he pretty much, from what I've heard, was like on his deathbed, practically. Um, he was so sick. And, and he says, you know what? Could you take the sermon this week? Right? And so here I am, right, with some choices. And by the way, I had Final Four tickets yesterday, too. Um, and I'm... I'm looking, at, I'm looking at my week, I'm going, um, where am I going to fit this in, hours of preparation, where is Jeff? Um, <laughs> and, and we often get, we often are confronted with opportunities to either choose the lesser or choose the greater, right? And I knew in my heart what the, what the greater thing to choose would be. Um, and if you were wondering, it's this, right? Um, and, and so that was, that was my choice, right? But kind of like with the Sweet 16 thing, right? I found myself this week, my wife's praying for me. I was praying for Larry. I was praying that Larry would experience a miraculous healing. <laughs> I was praying that over the course of that miraculous healing, that the Lord would give him a sermon, right? Laid out front to back, top to bottom, Right? And he would call me one morning, and he would say, you know what? I am healed, and I am ready, and you are free. Uh, and that didn't happen, um, and that's okay. Uh, but, but we often are confronted with these choices, right? We're, we're confronted with opportunities. And so often, they involve the choice between temporal things and eternal things, right? Lesser things and greater things, easy things, and hard things. And we're forced to make a choice. Sometimes we're not forced, sometimes we have the opportunity uh, to make a choice. And it can be hard because, you know, for years we've, we've been coddled, right? We've been trained to have it your way, right? That life can be customized not, not just by the day, but by the hour and by the minute to meet my particular needs and wants at that time. We, we've been coddled into this notion that, that life revolves around us, right? I, I had a high school teacher that reminded us, Hawks, the world does not revolve around you. But to get his point across, he used a different finger uh, while he was doing that, right? The world does not revolve around you, but, but we've been trained and we've been coddled to believe that it does. And then Jesus comes along. And Jesus invites us into something that he calls the kingdom. And, and we have conceptions of, of what it would mean right, to, to join a kingdom Right? To, to be on the side, to be on the team with the king. 
what that looks like. We, we have an idea in our hearts, in our minds, of what it looks like, right, to be on the, the king's side. And then Jesus blows it all up. He just blows our conceptions of what it means to be part of the kingdom uh, to smithereens. And in our passage this morning, we're going to be in uh, the Gospel of Mark in the 10th chapter in our continuing study of the Gospel of Mark. Uh, he's going to reveal some, some revolutionary values of the kingdom of God, and, and they aren't at all what we would expect. In his sermon last week, uh, Pastor Larry shared with us Jesus' glimpse into what it looks like to be a disciple. When Jesus told his followers, if anyone would come after me, if anyone wants to be my disciple, if he really wants to be one of my followers, the first thing that he must do is deny himself. Deny himself. And then the second thing is that he should take, off, he should take up this torture and death device called a cross. Right? He should die to himself and then he'll be ready to come and follow me. Uh, the kingdom of God it is full of paradoxes, right? Um, truths that, that seem absurd or, or seem to be contradictory in their very nature. But as we get to know more about Jesus, as, as we get to understand more about the kingdom of God, we, we see that they're not contradictory or absurd at all, but, but in fact, they're true. That, that it's how life really works under Jesus. Right? That, that it really is true that, that whoever would try to save his life really will lose it in the end but that anyone who's willing to lose his life now for Jesus' sake, for, for the gospel, is in fact in the process of saving his life. And in Mark chapter 10 this week, we're going to see another paradox. And it's this. It's that only when we are willing to possess nothing it's only when we're willing to possess nothing, empty hands, are we able to possess everything. That, that it's only when we're willing to relinquish our possessiveness of things, of life, our plans, our aspirations. It's only when we're willing to possess nothing that we will, in fact, be able to possess everything that is the kingdom of God. And not only that, but it's, it's only when we're willing to be no one. It's only when we're willing to be a nobody in the eyes of this world that we can, in fact, be someone that Jesus calls great in his kingdom. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your word. Lord, we just invite your spirit to move this morning. And we ask that through your word and through your spirit and what you have to say to us today, that, that what we know not you would teach us.
that what we have not, you would, you would give us. And that what we are not, you would make us. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. It's in his name we pray. Amen. We're going to jump off here in Mark chapter 10, verse 17. It's a story that you're probably familiar with. Um, it's of, often known as the story of the rich young ruler. Uh, and in our passage, it doesn't call him either young or uh, a ruler, but we get that term rich young ruler from the bits and pieces we pick up from the three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, that contain this story. Um, and so here's the story, verse 17, it says, And as he was setting out, as Jesus was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false, false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and your mother. And the man said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, Jesus took him in. He loved him. And he said to him, You lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around at his disciples and, and he said to them, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. And then Peter, who's quick to speak, right? <laughs> this, this interaction with Peter kind of reminds me of, of when you're in school, you know, probably grade school and the teacher is speaking to someone who's doing something that they shouldn't have been doing, or, or they did it the wrong way, and then there's that kid in class that's like, hey, look at me, teacher, I did it right, I did it right. The kid nobody else likes, right? Um, and, the, and then Peter, right, he says, look. Wrong page. <laughs> he says, see, we have left everything. Jesus, we, we've left everything and followed you. And Jesus said, truly, I say to you, there is no one, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sister or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time 
houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions. But in the age to come, eternal life. And our first paradox of the day, but many who are first will be last. In other words, those who insist on their position and their possessions now, who are first now, will be last. And the last now will be first. You know, I kind of wish that we knew a little bit more about this young man. We know he's a ruler. He possessed some position of authority probably in the local community. He was probably a civic leader. But we see the way he approaches Jesus, right? He runs up to him in excitement. He kneels before him in humility and respect. He accounts or recounts the fact that he has lived an upright life according to the law of God. And Jesus looks at him, right? He takes him in, sees all of who he is. And it says that he loved him, right? Jesus doesn't respond to hypocrites with love, right? He, he didn't respond to those who were elitists, with love. But it says that he loved him. But then he also told him that he lacked one thing. That he should go and sell all that he had and give it to the poor. And that then he would have something he didn't have now, which was treasure in heaven. Jesus says, come, After you've done all of that, then come, follow me. It says that the man was disheartened by the saying. I imagine that his face fell. And it says that he went away sorrowful. Why? Because he had great possessions. The thing that Jesus was asking came with a high price for him. Uh, the, the cost of discipleship is often high. He had great possessions. Uh, now we know from the passage that it means he had many possessions, a lot of possessions, abundant possessions. But I imagine that to him they were pretty great too. And, and all of these things in his life he was being asked to leave behind. They were a hindrance to him. We have them too, don't we? We have hindrances. We have things that hang us up, uh, that trip us up, that keep us from following Jesus on the way in which he calls us. In Hebrews, we're encouraged to lay aside every weight and sin which so easily entangles us. Oftentimes our hindrances are related to comfort and security. Things that keep us from moving on into our journey. A new place that Jesus is inviting us to and yet we can't seem to break free 
We're, we're like the rich young ruler. We're, we're not willing to sever the ties with those things in order to go farther with Jesus. Uh, sometimes they're relationships. Uh, we're, we're in a relationship that we know is not healthy for us. A relationship that we know is dragging us down, but it's so comforting. It provides so much security. Whether it's tangible security or just psychological, emotional security, we are afraid to let go, and so we're stuck. Sometimes it's an addiction, a vice, a habit. That, that we know that if we were willing to walk away from that thing, that we would instantly remove some kind of force field that we feel between Jesus and us. Sometimes our hindrance is just our plan for us. How we've envisioned our life would be and should be. Richard Rohr said this about kingdoms and the call into the kingdom. He said, we cannot welcome the presence, the, the full coming of Christ until we've let go of the old. Uh, we've lived under the illusion that we could have both. That we could idolatrously worship this world order and at the same time say, Thy kingdom come. Yet we can't say, Thy kingdom come unless we are willing to say, My kingdom go. Unless we are willing to say, My kingdom go. I think that's the denying and dying part that Jesus was referring to. Until we're willing to deny ourselves and die to ourselves in order to follow Christ. Verses 23 through 25 say that, that the disciples were amazed at Jesus' words about how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. He says they were exceedingly astonished by what he had to say. Why were they so surprised? Because their conception of the world was much like our conception of the world. Uh, they looked at this young man, perhaps, as the best next candidate for discipleship that he had things that they didn't, that he would be a great member of the team. He had resources and assets to offer. He had position and authority. He had people. Maybe he could get them into places. And in fact, all of those things that in their minds made him the perfect candidate Jesus says, are the very things that hindered him from becoming a disciple in the first place. Uh, that this 
young ruler despite his best intentions and the humility with which he approached Jesus and the respect that he had for him is actually the only account in the Gospels that we have of Jesus directly calling someone and saying, come, follow me, and them walking away from the call. He seemed like the perfect candidate, but in fact, all of those things kept him from becoming a disciple. It becomes really clear when we juxtapose this passage with the one immediately before it. Another well-known passage where where Jesus is gathered and and people were bringing children to him, Uh, but the disciples rebuked them and stopped them. And it says that Jesus became indignant when he saw this. And he said to them, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. We have the children on the one hand and this wealthy man on the other. Uh, The children have no possessions, nothing to their name. Uh, In terms of social status, they were the lowest of the low. Hence the disciples' view and response to them. Jesus doesn't say that they lack anything, but rather that they are in fact, or those who are like them, are the ones who actually already possess the kingdom. And yet, on the other hand, we have this guy who seems to have everything together. He has, he has great possessions. He has high social status. And yet, despite those things, he is the one who is told that he lacks something. And it's that something that hinders him from entering the kingdom of God. In one of the commentaries that I perused this week, the writer said this, he said, how profoundly ironic is the kingdom of God. Uh, The children in the former story who possess nothing are told that they, are not told that they lack anything, but rather that the kingdom of God is theirs Yet this man who possesses everything still lacks something. And it's only when he becomes like a vulnerable child will he possess everything. It's only when we are willing to possess nothing that we are able to possess everything that Jesus has for us. Is there any doubt? Is there even a sliver of doubt that what he walked away from in terms of an opportunity to follow Jesus Christ, to sit under his discipleship and his ministry as he walked this earth, 
Is there any doubt that that was greater than what he held on to? And such it is with the things that we hold on to as well. That, that God is always inviting us into somewhere new, into something new, into deeper, into fuller, into more. And yet the call is his, but the choice is ours. We have three well-known passages this morning. The, the third <clears throat> is one you're likely also familiar with, with James and John, the sons of Zebedee, uh, two fishermen that Jesus called to follow him. And it, and it says that they kind of approached Jesus on the side. Right? And they said, listen, whatever we ask of you, we want you to do that for us. It kind of reminds me of a, of a kid who, who kind of anticipates that the answer is going to be no to the thing that they want, right? And then they're, so instead of saying, will you get me the, you know, tricycle thingy? They say, will you buy me something? I don't want to say what it is yet. I just want you to agree right now, okay? Before I release it, okay, will you give it to me? Will you buy it for me? And Jesus says, what, what is it that you want me to do for you? Please. I'm intrigued. And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. In other words, when you are finally king, we want to be your right hand and your left-hand man. And to show you how humble we are, we don't even care which one of us is right and which one of us is left. Okay, we do, but we do want you to commit right now. Okay? And it says, Jesus says to them, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink? or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, completely clueless and foolishly, we are able. Yes, we are. We are ready. We have no idea what you're talking about. You have talked about being, you know, uh, crucified and killed and turned over to sinners and all, and we have no idea what that means, but yes, we are able. We are the guys. And Jesus says, the cup that I drink, you will drink. The cup of suffering, you will drink. And, and with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And then get this, it's, it's the second time that we see the word indignant in our passage. It says that when the ten heard it, right, when the other ten guys caught wind, of what James and John were up to. They were indignant. Uh, and Jesus had to tell us uh, this next part. You see, what happens is when, when our ambition and when our pursuit of authority and position and, and status comes out, that, that there was immediately an opportunity for division within the disciples. 
And so Jesus says, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so among you. And our next paradox, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You know, we see that that first part where it says, whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And I think our response to that is, yeah, I could serve a little. I mean, if, if it meant I would be great, yeah, I, I mean, I could serve a little if it, if it meant I would be great, if that's what you're saying. And, and then Jesus says it another way. He says, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. A slave of all, uh, that's, a little, that's a little different, right? Yeah. So, so you mean like I would be serving everyone and, and probably nobody would be serving me. Right? So you're talking like the lowest of the low. Right? That, that, that I would see myself as a slave to all? You know, we don't mind sometimes not being first. We're a little bit like James and John. Second, third, doesn't make much difference to me. It's up to you, Jesus. I take third. But last? Really? Last? Me? There was a story about a young woman who was applying for college S.I. McMillan recounts this in his book, None of These Diseases. Uh, When she's filling out the application for this school she's wanting to attend, her heart sinks when she reads the question on the application that says, Are you a leader? But being honest and conscientious, she wrote no and returned the application, uh, expecting the worst. To her surprise, she received a letter from the college. It read, Dear Applicant, A study of the application forms reveals that this year, our college will have 1,452 new leaders. We are accepting you because we feel it is imperative that they have at least one follower. But Jesus, Jesus is the example that we would follow. That in each of these cases, there's there's the negative example of, of the man who fails to leave everything behind and follow Jesus, and then the positive example of those who already have, like Peter and the others. And here we have the negative example of James and John and the rest of the disciples, frankly, um, who are pushing for, for status and, and, and a place in the kingdom. 
And then in verse 45, Jesus says, For even, even the Son of Man came. Even when God put on flesh and came here for us, even, even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus lived his life. The cost of following the Father's plan for Jesus was incredible. And, and the cost for us may be as well when we choose the path of discipleship. But Jesus always walked where the Father led regardless of the cost. That the Son of Man was willing to be no one so that he could show us what it looks like to be great in the kingdom of God. I have a question for you. If I gave you a hundred dollar bill, what, what would be your choices, your, your options to do with that hundred dollar bill? And, and let's just leave the realm of hypothetical, right? So, so I hand you a hundred dollar bill. What are your options now to do with what you've been given? What's the first thing that comes to mind? Okay, you could spend it. You could spend it, okay? Something else? You could save it. You could invest it. You could give it away to the needy. Anything else? You could. <laughs> Jesus said, no one is good except God, but this man is wise. I think there's one other option, unfortunately. We could waste it. Right? You, you can put it to use for good things. You could give it away right? and change someone else's life, put, put bread in someone else's hand for a day. You can invest it with purpose. Or you could waste it. It's a great illustration of the opportunities that God puts in front of us. That every day we have opportunities to answer kingdom calls. Kingdom calls to deny ourselves. Kingdom calls to serve others. Kingdom calls to build others up. To shine the light of the kingdom in our world. It's what we're called to do. But the choice is ours. What we will do with the call. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your word.
Thank you that it calls something out of us that's greater. That that it steers us from the temporal things that we can so easily focus on to eternal things. We pray that you would use the seeds that you've sown in our hearts and our minds today to shine the light of your kingdom in the world around us. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.